Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. You have your Bible taken out to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to talk today about moving from the mentality, the mindset of a slave to the mindset of a warrior. Between Egypt and the promised land, the nation of Israel had to change the way they think. They came out of Egypt as slaves. They had been abused, they had beaten down, they did not think of themselves as a great nation, they did not see themselves as warriors or capable of being a a military force, and yet until they had changed the way they think, they couldn't take the promised land. God can't give us the promises he wants to give us until he's changed the way we think. What we see in Israel is a model of how God works with us today. Men and women can become saved, they get born again, they get set free from slavery to the devil and to demonic forces and to the flesh and to the, to the world, and yet they're not necessarily changed in the way they think. They often still think weak and defeated, they think that they are powerless, and they are passive in the way they approach their spiritual life. We cannot remain passive. We must allow God to put that mentality of a warrior in us. In order to become a citizen, you have to first become a warrior. You have to take the land. The enemy's not going to give it to you. The blessings and promises, the things that God wants to do in your life, are not going to come on a plate. They're going to come by you walking forward in spiritual warfare. It won't be with natural weapons. It will be with spiritual weapons. Now, having said that, the last night in in PNG... There was a gathering of the, of the leaders of the church uh, there. The, it's called Living Light Foursquare. And uh, they do not do this all the time. This is not a, an automatic thing, and nor was it something asked of by the pastor. But when they love you and they feel you love them, they give gifts. And they gave us each a different group, ended up giving us some wonderful gifts. Pastor Maggie was, he's that, he's a weight, was a weightlifter. And I, he, he looks like it. He is strong as all get out. He's the pastor at Goylala. That's, that's his charge. He goes out there regularly into that tremendously violent and dangerous area. He came up and he gave us a bow and arrows. And he said this, I'm giving you this because you're warriors. That was his words. I'm giving you this because you're warriors. Now it's almost comical to call us warriors when this man goes out into one of the most dangerous areas in the nation on a regular basis. He's the warrior. But it's an honor to have someone with a heart like that hand you a bow and say, because you're warriors. He understood that, that a Christian man or woman who's really serving is a warrior. That's how he saw it. So I consider this a real gift. I consider it a real prophetic reminder of something. It's as though God would hand us these things and say, because you're warriors. Because you're warriors. My response was us. Us. But he saw us differently. He saw us as warriors. And so does the Lord see you and me 
as warriors. Are you ready to accept that assignment? Holy Spirit, come now and open the word of God to us. We ask, Lord, that this be life to us. It is you who opens us to see your word. And we make a choice today that we will be not only hearers of the word. We're not looking to be entertained today. We are looking to be trained. And we ask you, Lord, to grace us that we might be doers of your word. Obey it and live and be blessed. In Jesus' name we ask. I ask for grace to speak. Amen. It's one thing to be delivered from bondage. It's another to inherit our promises. It seems there are always obstacles standing in our way. Powerful forces determined to prevent us from possessing those promises. Have you noticed? You came into the Christian life thinking everything was going to be fine now, and then you find there's a whole array of opposition to things being fine. That's normal. There's nothing wrong with you. That's just the way it is. And coming to that understanding is very important. In this case, for the nation of Israel, where we're going to read in Exodus, it was the Philistine army who stood between Israel and their promised land. God had the power to give them their inheritance immediately, but he knew they didn't have the faith to attack an intimidating army. It's only 85 miles, really, from the edge of Egypt up to what is the boundaries of the promised land. 85 miles, and if you go up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, I mean, you can get a tan on the way. I mean, it's just you can go right on up in that beautiful sea air, march on up, take a couple of days, and there you are. This did not have to be a long ordeal for them to come out of bondage and into their inheritance. But God said this. He looked into their hearts, and he said, I know this, people. I know that as soon as they come over that last rise and encounter the Philistine army because the Philistines occupy the southwestern coast of what is, was Canaan at that point. Who, who are the Philistines? No one's quite sure where they came from, but they're called the Sea People. Uh, the, the Egyptian hieroglyphics are full of pictures of wars with them. They were a very militaristic, very advanced culture in terms of their, of their war. They came from somewhere into the Mediterranean Sea and settled there on the coast. They kind of invaded, took a chunk of land, that beautiful coastal plain, and settled there. Some people think that they're, they're the people from the area around Troy, where the, the, the wars with the Greeks and all, the ones that were pushed out came down and settled down here. They had metal, they had advanced weaponry. They are, they are not just the run-of-the-mill uh, people from the land of Canaan. God says, boy, when, when my, 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 my Israel comes out and they come over that last rise and see tens of thousands of Philistine soldiers fully armed standing you know, in rank waiting for them, their heart will fail. They'll turn around and decide they'd rather be slaves in Egypt. He says, I don't dare send them right into their promise. Why? Because God couldn't give them the promised land yet? No. Because remember, there was, there was a time when God gave the Philistine army into the hand of a young boy, if I recall. Remember somebody named David? And he came to deliver a message from his dad to his brothers because he was too young to even serve in the army. And, and so he just comes along to see his brothers and there's, there's this standoff going on. And there's this huge giant of a man out there bellowing away, defying the armies of the living God. And David says, what's going on? Surely you guys aren't chicken. 
And brothers go, who's you calling? Chicken boy. And David says, I can't believe what I'm seeing. That you're going to let that clown get away with that. And so he goes marching out with his slingshot. A slingshot. And takes on somebody that is a giant, I don't know, what, seven, some, seven eight feet tall? Who throws a spear, they said, like a weaver's beam. Maybe it was nine feet long. He goes out there and he says, hey, you. And he gets the guy and he takes his sling and just nails him right in the forehead and drops him like a stone. And the whole Philistine army goes into terror and runs. You see, God could have done it right then. We didn't have to wait. How, how long was it, by the way, before they took the promised land? Forty years. That was not necessary. That was not necessary. That was because it took 40 years for their attitudes to change. Have you ever wondered what's taking you so long? <laughs> I'm serious. We go blaming God. We say, I thought, you know, God, where are your promises? I thought you were going to do this. What's the deal here? And it's us that stalls the process. It's our attitudes. But God's a loving father. And so he looked at him and he said, if I take them in now, they're going to run. They'll never have the heart for the fight. I could deliver them with a, with a miracle easy, but they won't even stay in the process. They will run at the first sight of trouble. So I'm going to have to do something else. We'll see what that is. Their faith was too small. They'd come face to face with the Philistine army. They would have turned in panic and run back to Egypt thinking slavery would be better than death. Yet as a loving father, God didn't give up on them, but committed himself to transforming their hearts until they had the courage to take possession of the land. He planned to do this by deliberately leading them into an environment where they would be forced to constantly depend on him for survival. What do we call that environment? The wilderness. Over the next two to three years, because that's how long God intended to do this. In Numbers 10, it tells us he was going to be about two years, some months, was all he had planned for a wilderness training camp. And he was going to have ten different tests, that's all. Ten different tests he was going to put them to while he built their faith so that they would have the courage to go into the land. Two years, ten tests, and we'd be ready. He didn't plan 40 years. That was their doing. Now, turn with me to chapter 13, verse 17. Let's read. Now, it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, that's up the coast, even though it was near, 85 miles. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. They don't have the heart yet of a warrior. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness. He took them straight across the Sinai Peninsula. And the sons of Israel went up, Mine says in martial array, but it literally says armed. They had weapons. Where they got them, I don't know, but they went up with weapons from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God shall surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. And then they set out from Sukkoth. Sukkoth was a staging area there in the eastern boundary of Egypt, and camped in Etham, which I believe is, on, is 200 miles across the Sinai Peninsula over above the Gulf of Aqaba. 
on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. Notice this, that they might travel by day and by night. So they are on a rapid march traveling as much of the day as they can right into the night being having this light lighting the desert floor from this pillar of fire hallelujah what a picture they did not take he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people god says if i take them up right now they will turn and run they don't have the heart yet their attitudes are wrong the way they think is wrong I've got to change those attitudes. I've got to change the way they think before I can give them the promises I want to give them. Do you understand? Does that seem applicable to us? This isn't just a matter of of ancient Israel, is it? The same principle is absolutely true. This is a model to us of the Christian life. So God says, what am I going to do? How am I going to change their attitudes? What steps is he going to take? He says, I'm going to take them out into the wilderness. I'm going to take them out to a place where there's lack, where there's not enough water, there's not enough food, where there's all kinds of challenges, and then I'm going to do miracles. What I want them to do is I want them to get into these messes. I'm going to lead them into pickles, into real fixes, where they're stuck. Then I want them to call out on me, call out to me, and then I'm going to answer them with a great miracle. And their faith will be built, and after about 10 of those babies, I got them, and they're going into the land. Hallelujah. Didn't quite work out like that, but it was a good plan. What did he want to teach them? First of all, verse 18. Would you notice that they went out armed? Turn back to chapter 12, verse 51. I want to show you another verse. In my, my translation, it's kind of... Not a, not, doesn't, the, the impact isn't there, but it says this. It came about on that same day that the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And mine says, by their hosts. It literally means by their armies. And when I read that, I thought, by their armies? Don't you picture them coming out of Egypt kind of on the run? I mean, here's the way I think they went out of Egypt. It's like... You know, and that's how I... Wouldn't that, you know? We, we're out of here, man. Look out, here we go. Just sort of scrambling, around, uh, just a, a, a rough crowd of slaves just scrambling out of the desert. That's not how they went. The Bible says they went out by their armies, organized in platoons, undoubtedly by their tribes. Those, some of those ancient platoons were about five across and ten long. And then there's a place where it says Pharaoh was furious. One of the things that just ticked off Pharaoh was that they went out with a high hand. You know what a high hand is? That's a high hand. In other words, here's how they went out. They marched out in platoons with a high hand, defiant and proud, and it ticked off the Egyptians no end. Like, well, I guess. From the very first day, they went out armed, and it was probably with something just about like this, and a spear. They went out armed, and they went out ordered in ranks, marching by their armies. 
God was trying to tell him something from day one. What was he trying to tell him? You're warriors, not slaves. Say that with me. You're warriors, not slaves. Say it again. You're warriors, not slaves. Day one, they're marching out in platoons. Day one, they're armed. He's trying to get them to think differently. God has placed us as well in armies. Wouldn't you agree? When you become a Christian, God puts you in the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit literally baptizes us into the church, into the body of Christ. He doesn't ask you if you want to be. It isn't a voluntary enlistment. You get put into the people of God from the day one. Now, in America, where we have this ferocious independence and this individualism, we're critical and we're hard to live with. We want to live our little lives all by ourselves and we'll take what we want and when we want it and you leave us alone. That's a recipe for defeat. The Bible says that God puts us into armies. He joins us so that we fight shoulder to shoulder. We are not meant to live our Christian lives alone. We're meant to live it in community with brothers and sisters who pray for us. I would suppose it was about four or five significant times in between Australia and PNG that I literally prayed this prayer. Oh God, alert the prayer warriors at home to pray. There would be these tense moments, these difficult moments, and I called on God because I knew that you would pray. And I said, Lord, I don't know what time it is at home, call them to prayer. And I could feel the strength come. You see, we weren't alone. If we were out there alone, we were, we were in trouble. But when we're out there tied to a family, when there's an army, when there's shoulder-to-shoulder soldiers praying and standing, there's victory. Now, that's how, you win an, that's how you heal a marriage. That's how you raise your kids. That's how you get victory in, your, in, in addictions. That's how, you, that's how you learn to grow. It's with others praying for us and standing with us and encouraging us. You're not meant to fight alone. You're a warrior, but you've been put in an army. You've been put in an army. You're put in a people. I think the greatest recipe for defeat is the person who tries to live their spiritual life in isolation. And there's a pride to it. No, no, I'll handle it. No, you won't. And I've yet to see anybody who does. We weren't meant to. You're not designed to. We're designed to need each other and pray for each other and encourage each other and admonish one another. It's 50 times, 50 times in the New Testament, there's those statements of one another, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, admonish one another. It just goes on and on. Put into that army. First of all, we're warriors. We're put in an army. And second of all, we're given weapons. Now, the, now 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not this kind of weapon. But they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The bringing down of strongholds, says King James. They're powerful weapons. What kind of weapons are they? They're the weapons of prayer. The weapons of forgiveness, of overcoming evil with good of standing in agreement and believing God. We fight by standing firm. In, if you put on the, we, the, the, the weapons that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 6, the weapons are truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. By standing firm in those, we fight our battles. Amen?
Somehow, you and I have got to get a mindset that makes us understand this. We are warriors. And you personally have to own this and say, I am a warrior. For years, I have remembered this one illustration that I heard a pastor give. He said, I had a dream. And he said, in my dream, I saw this great dragon coming at me. And I was standing there before this thing, terrified. And I was calling out to the Lord in my dream, oh, oh Lord, save me. God, help me. Rescue me. And he said, at some point, I noticed that I had in my hand a sword. But it was hanging down and its tip was in the, in the sand. But I kept crying out, God, save me. God, help me. As this thing got closer and closer to me. And he said, finally, I heard a voice speak to me. Now you tell me, what do you think the voice said? Swing the sword. Turn to your neighbor and say, swing the sword. Yeah, exactly. Swing the sword. Oh, God, help. Oh, God, save me. Oh, no, save me. Swing the sword, stupid. <laughs> now, God doesn't say stupid, but we do. Swing the sword. You've got something in your hand. Swing it. There is something in many of us that's very passive. We want others to pray for us. We want others to give us a prophetic word. We go running around asking others to carry us, as it were. Now, I do believe we stand shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. We fight shoulder to shoulder. That's part of our strength. But you must also swing the sword. You can't simply walk along in the middle of the platoon and do nothing. You must fight for yourself. Let me give you an illustration, and I'll go, so I don't offend anybody, go way back in time. In, <laughs> I've had plenty of these illustrations, but I'll just use this one way back in time, far, far away. This was in, in college. Uh, we, I had a music group in college called the Gross National Product, and... Uh, <laughs> It wasn't a Christian group. It wasn't a non-Christian. I mean, we didn't use gross stuff, but it wasn't a Christian group. Anyway, one of our singers at one point had an episode of these terrible nightmares. She would wake up having seen herself slashed bloody, uh, horrible, horrible blood and gore all over. She'd wake up just screaming and in a sweat. And would go to sleep and it'd come again and go to sleep. And, and I think for the last four nights when she came to talk to Mary and to me, she had not slept in uh, four days or, or just sporadically with these horrible nightmares. She was getting terribly depressed, even thinking suicidal. She was so distraught, she didn't know how to get out of this horrible cycle. She knew we were Christians and, and she said, uh, look, I'm desperate. Uh, can you help me? She had a nominal Christian background. And so, first of all, we talked to her about the Lord. We said, yes, we can help. We said this, we, we can pray for you. And we will. We will stand with you in prayer. And you need to know that Jesus has power over this kind of thing. There is spiritual forces that would come against us. And Jesus has power over that. However... 
if you, you must learn to stand for yourself. You see, I know this. I know the devil, no matter what we pray, the devil's going to try the door. You can close the door, but the devil's going to come and rattle it and see if it's open. Have you discovered that? And I said, if you don't personally rise up and address this thing, it's going to come right on back. We cannot simply pray it off you. You must swing the sword, in effect. You must rise up and stand against this. Here's what you do. When that thing comes again, and it probably will, then we want you to pray like this and something on the order. I said, really, you're not praying. You're addressing it. This may sound strange to your ears, but I want you to address this thing directly. And in the authority of Christ, say this, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind this spirit, get away from me, leave in Jesus' name. And I ask for the covering of the blood of Christ, and I ask for the angels of God to be given charge over me now in Jesus' name. Would you pray that? Yes, I will. All right. First night, she slept through. Hallelujah. Second night, here it came. The devil tried the door. And she did what we asked. She woke up, and in the name of Jesus, she told the thing to get out of there. And stood covered with the blood of Christ with the angels of God around her, went back to sleep, and that was the end of the episode, as I recall. Do you see the point? You must think of yourself as a warrior. You must accept the responsibility when the Lord hands you a weapon. You must accept the weapon and understand that you, men and women, young and old, doesn't make any difference. In Christ now, you're a warrior. You have the authority. You have great power in Christ's name. And you must swing that sword for yourself. And until you do, there won't be any real victory for you. You cannot just go running around to other people asking them to pray for you, them to get a word for you, them to guide you, them to do this and that for you. You cannot be a basket case in everybody else's arms. You must stand on your own feet and swing the sword. Second thing God wanted to teach them. They took along, it says there in verse 19, the bones of Joseph. Now what is that all about? You've got Joseph's bones carried along. Do you remember what it's for? When Joseph died, what did he say? He said, you God will surely take you into the promised land. He's promised our fathers this. He will do it. I don't know when it is, but when it is, you take my body with you and you bury me. In my, it, it, you bury me in the land that he gives you. And they would bury him later on in, in uh, Shechem, if I recall. A plot of land the family owned. What did those bones remind them of? What did the bones say? The bones said this as they're carrying on. We are the generation who will see God's promises fulfilled. God's promise to our fathers is coming to pass now. That is really important. You know, everybody can, if you, are, if you discuss with them, you say, do you think God can answer this prayer? Do you think God can give you this blessing? Oh, sure, I think God can. But that isn't the qualifier. The qualifier is, but I'm not sure God wants to. I know God could heal my marriage, but I'm not sure he wants to. I know that God could deal with this health or give me a job or do whatever it is. I know God could, but I don't know if he wants to. Joseph's bones said loud and clear, 
He's going to. He wants to. We've got to somehow get it into our heads that we have great promises and that God wants to fulfill these promises in my lifetime. Hope is expecting a blessing. Expecting a blessing. And you'll find that hope gets robbed all the time. We feel guilty. We feel overwhelmed. We feel uh, inadequate. We don't pray enough. We don't do this enough. We don't do that enough. We keep scrutinizing ourselves and deciding that I guess God can't ever do anything with us. Hope is something we must have. So he sent them out by platoons, armed, they're warriors, but he also sent them out with the bones of Joseph, reminding them, you are the generation I want to give that land to. You are the people I want to bless. I'm doing it now. Wake up. The blessing's coming true now. How many have hope in your heart he's going to do things in your life? He's going to do powerful things. Do you know something? The promises you have are so superior to the promises that they walked out with. It's not even funny. They're promised a land. They would have access to the Lord through a tabernacle, through a sacrificial system. You're told you can walk into the Holy of Holies and call the creator of heaven and earth Abba. There is no comparison between your relationship to the living God and theirs. There is no comparison. And yet we doubt God wants to bless us. We doubt God wants to do miracles. We doubt God wants to answer our prayers. It's pathetic. The promises to us are so far superior to what those people had as they marched the bones of Joseph out of the land. It's not even funny. But God was trying to tell them, you're the generation. I'm giving the blessing. I'm giving the land to you. Boy, if that's true for them, it is far more true for us. Number three, verse 20. They went across the wilderness. God led them out into the wilderness. Why did he lead them out into the wilderness? He deliberately leads us into situations where we will need a miracle. Have you noticed? I did a little mathematics. I figured if they traveled at two miles an hour, and that they, since it, went, it said it gave them the, the pillar of fire by night so they could travel by night as well as by day. Well, you got to sleep some. So I figured an eight-hour sleeping time, 16 hours of travel. Well, at two miles an hour, how long would it take them to get the 200 miles across the Sinai Peninsula to where I think they ended up? I came up with six to seven days. Just six to seven days, he led them straight across. And then he said something really funny. It's in the next chapter, the first verse. The Lord says to them, now, turn back and camp between Pahirath and Migdal and the sea. And you should camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite by the sea. I'll tell you where I think that is. There is along the coast of the Gulf of Aqaba, a line of of mountains, and there's one little river valley that goes right through it. It's very narrow, and it comes out onto an alluvial plain right out into the sea. It's a large alluvial plain, large enough certainly for two million people, and down on either side, the mountains come right down to the water, and it comes right down behind it, and then all there is is this crack in, the, in these steep mountains that winds its way through and comes out to this ocean. God stopped them. He could have just let them go right on down into Saudi Arabia, which is where Mount Sinai is. 
He could, and the land of Midian is. He could have let him go right on down there, but he says, no, no, turn back, and I want you to go down, and I want you to camp right there. What's his problem? Can't he read a map? What's he doing? Now, it took Pharaoh how many days to figure out they're on the run? Because see, the deal was, we're going to go out three days journey and have a worship service. So at the fourth day, the spies who are watching see him keep right on going. They didn't stop at three days and form a camp and form a, a, a sacrifice. They just kept right on going. So the word gets back. So Pharaoh, within four days or so, knows the people have run. The people have gone. So he's immediately putting together his chariots and his horsemen, 600 strong of those, and they're coming after him. And God, instead of saying, go for it, head down into the Sinai. I mean, down into the Saudi Arabia. He says, turn back and get yourself stuck on this alluvial fan of land with mountains on either side and water in front of you and a narrow canyon at your back. Wow, that's strategy. <laughs> and he led them there with the cloud and with a pillar of fire. He deliberately led them into a place where they were doomed if they didn't have a miracle. That's the whole point of the wilderness. God puts us in situations where we must have a miracle. Is he being cruel? Is he trying to hurt us or frighten us? What's his point? Why does he do such things? Because he loves us. And because he wants to show us a miracle. He wants to do a mighty, powerful thing in our lives at our very point of need. Because that's the miracles that really matter. I can tell you about miracles in Papua New Guinea. You go, that's cool. But it's the ones he does for you that really change you, right? Those are the ones that build your faith and leave you different. It's those miracles that you never forget. And so it's got to be personal. He designs situations for you to be in. Where you're absolutely caught between the sea and the Egyptian army. And he, what he's looking for is for our response. He's testing our response. Either we're going to do option A or option B. Option A is pray and call upon him. Option B is grumble and complain and accuse him. How you doing? Option A or option B? What did the people of Israel do? Option B, for the most part. How many people have you heard say, you know, I started out my Christian life, and I thought God was going to help me, and I've tried to do everything right. I read the Bible. I serve him. I even tithe. And, and look at this problem. Oh, he's failed me. You ever heard that? It's kind of the... If you haven't heard, of, heard it, stick around me a while. <laughs> we somehow think that because we've been good Christians and because we've done the right thing and because we've given our lives to him, everything should be going smoothly and look at this mess. I want you to understand something. The mess is a, is a gift. The mess is your opportunity to grow in faith. 
The mess is designed to help you see a miracle and learn something so that he can give you your inheritance. You've got to have the faith to take your inheritance. It's not going to get handed to you on a plate. It's not fate. It's not automatic. It doesn't just come by magic. It comes by you walking in faith. And if you don't have any, you've got to learn some. And frankly, I think none of us have the kind of faith we need. We are all being grown and developed in our faith. I'll close with this. It's just just an an illustration of God putting me in the wilderness, putting me in one of these hard places to learn a lesson of faith. Many years ago, the Lord spoke to Mary and to me and gave us four clear instructions. We were stepping out of one denomination, and he told us that was part of it. He said, I want you to go four square. I want you to go to the northwest. I want you to go to a city, and I want you to build on no other man's foundations. That means plant a church where there is none. We did two of those things because we, I did not, not we, I did not have the courage to do the church planting on no other man's foundations in a city. I just wilted. It terrified me. I couldn't bear the thought. Remember how Israel went in and they said, they're giants in the land, they're high wall cities, they'll kill us. That's how I felt. I didn't have the faith to take my promise. God wanted to give me something. I didn't have the faith to take it. So I bargained with him until he let me do something else. I regret it to this day. After a period of time, God said to me, now you have two more appointments with me that you have not done. I want you to go to a city and I want you to plant on, build it on no other man's foundations. I said, where do you want me to go? He said, it doesn't really matter. Pick a place and just obey me. I've got to teach you this lesson. It's the lesson in your heart that you have to learn. So we ended up in the wilderness, Phoenix, Arizona. It's as hot and dry as any Sinai Peninsula. I will never in my life forget the first service we held at Fuller Elementary School. We put an ad in the paper, you know, the blind see, the lame walk. No, we didn't. It was nursery care will be provided. (laughs) And we had a little sandwich board outside the, the thing and set up the chairs and a little American flag and one of these black music stands for the pulpit. I went in the men's room and I just said, oh God, don't make me go in there. Nobody will come. They're not going to like me. And Oh God. And I just and sucked it up and went in, you know, with my guitar. And 22 people were there. Whoa. But I was sure they would never come back. <laughs> would you notice something? Even if your emotions are swirling a million miles an hour, If you'll just put one foot in front of the other and obey him, God counts that as faith. It isn't your emotions he looks at. It's your feet. Where do you go? What do you do? Do you do what he asks you to do? That counts as faith. And so for four years, that was one of the hardest seasons in my entire life. I I actually would say it was the hardest season of my life, certainly up to this point. Um, I went through all kinds of emotions and all kinds of difficulties. 
Let me tell you what happened. The denomination had an old building there. When I say old, 1929, as badly damaged the building, the roof structure had collapsed because of water had built up on it and crushed it down. The water had poured down into the entire building and ruined everything. It had been abused by a couple of cults that had used the thing, had a horrible reputation in the community. It had five parking places, and it had sold off the parsonage on one side right to the paint on the wall. I mean, it's illegal. I don't know how they did it. And their sewage ran through another property. A couple of young people went, had come to help at that point, and, and uh, they called me on the phone one day, and they said, Pastor, have, have you thought about that building? I said, that building? That piece of trash? It's, I said, five parking places. And then it was on no parking at any time on one street and no parking from, I forget, just a few hours on the other street. I said, it's an impossible situation. There's no reason to pray about that. <laughs> and they did ask the question. They said, well, did you pray about it? And then I exploded. I said, what do you mean did I pray about it? What's to pray about? <laughs> All right, I'll pray. <laughs> I'm just about like that. And I just dropped on my belly right on the floor, right there and there. And I was just kind of frustrated. And I said, God, do you want that building? And I was expecting him to say, of course not. What are you thinking? Five parking places and it's <laughs> sewage runs into him. And you know what he said? He said, do you want it? Do I want it? Why would I want that piece of trash? And then he went silent on me. I knew I hurt his feelings. I really did, and I thought, you like that building. Ugh. And then I thought, oh my goodness, you want me to ask for that building. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, Lord. And it was all I could do, and I, I just threw gritted teeth. I said, Oh, God, if you want the, all right, I'm asking for that building. Oh, God, give me that building. <laughs> Hallelujah. I am believing for that building. I, I did. It came just like that. I mean, I just, all right, if you, all right, if you want it, I, I will cough it out. Give me the building. I receive the building by faith. I count it done before I see it. Hallelujah. <laughs> that began the most incredible series of miracles I've ever seen. Or one of them. I've seen a lot of miracles. But it was that, that is an outstanding one. One incredible miracle. I could spend the rest of the afternoon telling you things God did. Taking the city government... And, and, and opening the door for us. Provision, 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 open door, miracle here, miracle there. One thing after another. Two and a half years later, we had the most beautiful remodeled old church, completely gutted, completely cleaned, 15 tons of air conditioning. We, it was a gorgeous place. Had bought back the parsonage, landscaped everything. We had a full service. We had a youth program, a children's program, a great worship team. When we finally left there, that church was insured for $365,000. And that was many, many years ago. 
And we had come into town with a guitar, an overhead projector, and a, and a basket of toys for a nursery. How does that happen? What was God trying to do for me? He looked in my heart, and he said, he's not ready to inherit his promise. He's full of fear. He's full of doubt. The man does not trust me. I cannot give him his inheritance because fear holds him. So I'm going to lead him right into the wilderness. And I'm going to put him into the nastiest little mess you ever saw in your life. It's totally impossible. Nobody in their right mind can make that work. And then I'm going to come along and I'm going to answer one prayer after another. I'm going to do one miracle after another. And I'm going to show that kid. I was young then. I'm going to show that guy what I can do. And I want to teach him faith so that he doesn't hold back my work and so I can give him the inheritance I want to give him. How many of you have been led into the wilderness? How many of you have been put in a pickle that's just absolutely impossible? You know what that is. Raise your hands. How many of you are there right now? Hallelujah. If you have the eyes to see, what God wants to do. He's not being cruel. He's not been mean. This isn't a matter of not loving you. This is a matter of loving you so much. He will not leave you in the state you're in. Brother, sister, you're going to grow. And you're going to come out of this seeing a miracle. That's his plan. He never leads you into the wilderness, but what he'll provide manna, water from the rock. He'll do any miracle it takes that's needed. Would you bow your heads with me? Who today needs to say, I have responded badly. When I see what God did with Israel, I see the wilderness, I see how he brought them into situations where they needed a miracle. God's brought me into those kinds of situations, and instead of praying, instead of standing in faith, instead of trusting and full of hope that God would do the miracle and just waiting until I had my miracle, I instead have grumbled. I responded the way Israel did. I've grumbled and complained. I've accused God of being faithless. I've been angry at those Christians who tried to encourage me to pray. I've blamed everybody. I've handled it badly. But today, with the word of God, it cuts me like a sword. And today, I'm repenting. Today, I'm going to thank the Lord for the wilderness. I'm going to thank him for what he's trying to teach me and what the miracle he's going to do. Who needs to have an attitude adjustment right now in where you stand? Would you lift your hand before the Lord? Praise God. Just hold him up. Praise you, Jesus. In fact, I'd like you to stand. If you're very, most of the church, we just go ahead and stand before the Lord. And we're going to, I'm going to lead you in prayer. We're going to make a declaration right now. We're switching from option, a to, or option B to option A. We're going to thank the Lord and we're going to commit to believe in God for a mighty miracle in a marriage, in a job, in our bodies, with our children, with our parents, with whatever the situation is. We're going to believe God. Would you pray after me if you're standing there making this confession? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. You are a pure and a holy God. Your intentions toward me are perfect and right. Forgive me for accusing you, for doubting your love, for doubting your power, for doubting your faithfulness. It's a sin, and I repent of it. Today, because of the Word of God, my heart's changed.
I trust you. I love you. I thank you for the wilderness because you plan to do a miracle to grow my faith, to train me to be a warrior. I accept my weapons. I accept my call. I'll swing the sword. I will be built up in my heart in faith so that you can give me my inheritance. Come, my Father, in Jesus' name, and train me. Hallelujah. David says something precious. He said, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Say that with me. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Once more. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Father, we stand with David and we declare that. Blessed be the Lord our rock. You train our hands for war. You're raising up warriors. We're not just people getting to heaven. We're meant to be people who take up land. We're meant to be people who inherit a promise, who see your power move through us. And we, you will not tolerate us becoming passive and, 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 and fearful. You will build our faith until we have the faith to inherit what you want to give us. Thank you for the miracles. Thank you for answers we've not seen yet. Blessed be the Lord our rock who trains our hands for war and our fingers for battle. In Jesus' mighty name, we confess it. If that's your confession, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.